sacred. Uh, getting tired, <laughs> girl. You're gonna have to rally. <laughs> We're gonna, gonna have, have to, get to rally. This. this is Sacred Tension, the podcast about the spiritual discipline of asking questions. We are now on episode four of working through the Nashville Statement. Matt Langston is here with me. He, as a straight person, is reading the Nashville Statement to me. I am gay. It's case, so uncomfortable. In case that was... Is it really? <laughs> no. Okay, good. <laughs> I, I was thinking, you know, during the break that in other circumstances, this would be like deeply traumatizing. Like I'm trapped. <laughs> I'm trapped in this cabin in the woods. <laughs> And this straight guy is reading me. Is forced to read is, the, the Nashville statement to, to a gay person. <laughs> and I'm like, and there's like, and no one can hear me scream out here. <laughs> and, <laughs> and so I was thinking, you know, while, while I was getting water, that this would be deeply unsettling and traumatizing yeah. under other circumstances. But so we are working through the last... Four points of the Nashville Statement and just kind of giving our thoughts on it, um, our in-the-moment thoughts. If you haven't listened to the first three episodes, go ahead and do that. You can catch up. So let's let's move on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's awesome. I, I'm excited. So we have four more articles left to go. And gosh, man, I kind of, for anybody listening, um, this is, uh, maybe I'll do my best to try to describe what the experience has actually been like. Um, I think that I think that it's one thing to read the Nashville statement on its own, particularly being a straight person um, with not a lot of uh, experience within the LGBT community. I think that it it takes on a specific sort of uh, ludicrous nature <laughs> mm-hmm. to actually sit and read it in front of someone who's a part of that community. And I in no way want to diminish people that I I, I welcome all, all disagreement. Like, yes, I think Stephen and I are just I do too expressing our own uh, experiences with it. And to me, right now, it it just kind of feels a little bit dumb. But we'll keep going because it's <laughs> so fun. Um, uh, I'm, uh, the, I'm yeah. I, I need a cigarette or something. Like this is <laughs> this is a an act of five of them. <laughs> Yeah, this is a five cigarette kind of. Uh, I, it's a force of will. <laughs> right. <laughs> but we're going to try to get through the last four okay. in this episode. We'll earn that cigarette. Um, <laughs> so, Article 11 says we affirm our duty to speak the truth in love at all times. Oh, oh fuck. I know. It's yeah. so hard. I've already, I just have to say, I've already said this so many times. I already know what you think. I already know. It's what like you we, think is true. I get it. You, I don't need to hear it every single time you see me. <laughs> we affirm our duty to speak the truth in love at all times. Like, we are admitting to ourselves that we it, we are responsible for making sure that everybody knows all of this information. That, that might be why you don't have many gay friends, <laughs> honestly, just putting that out there. <laughs> oh my gosh, it just kind of it cracks me up. We affirm our duty to speak the truth in love at all times, which, depending on which Christian you're talking to, I've been spoken uh, the truth in love to a few times, uh, and it's not always uh, all, but all, both of those are at the same time. Uh-huh. Sometimes it's just, anyway, if you've been... Douchebaggery. Yeah, if you've ever been a Christian, somebody's come up to you and be like, I just really need to talk to you about some stuff you got going on in your life, man, just out of love, man, just out of okay, love. Okay, so, so Matt, I, I have some stories for you 
Okay, let's let's yeah, let's hang, go yeah, on. We'll, let's we'll, go we'll, on. and we'll then I'll it. and then I'll tell you my we're story. So, we're so bad at going off on tangents, um, but I, it would be hard if they weren't so fun. We affirm our duty to speak the truth in love at all times, including when we speak to or about one another as male or female. I don't know what that means. I don't know it. I want to speak the truth in love to you at all times, especially when I'm talking to you as a male or a female. Thanks, Matt. Like, what I, is <laughs> Right. Like, what does that mean? I think we're getting so tired at this point. We're just like, what the fuck is this? Like, I think we're getting so... We might need someone to come and, like, translate the Christianese here for us. I know. So, I know. <laughs> okay, but but on speaking the truth and love thing, okay. Wait, well, hang on. Let's let's, okay, let's, okay, do, okay. let's do the we deny. Yes, yes, yes. We yes. deny any obligation to speak in such ways that dishonor God's design of His image bearers as male and female. Okay, we deny the any we, obligation to speak. Yeah, we don't have an obligation <clears throat> to speak in ways that dishonor God's design for people, male and female, for image I, bearers, male and female. I agree that they don't have an obligation to agree with me, if that's what they're saying. If they're saying they they don't have an obligation to say what they don't think is right. To speak in ways that they feel dishonors God's design. Yeah. Then knock yourself out. Because clearly— but that is not going to protect them from the vicious— a disagreement that is not going to attack them from people like me right. saying that they are morally bankrupt for holding this opinion, which is great. But I also kind of feel like it's a little bit short sighted to say, like, in ways that dishonor God's design. It was my understanding that humanity is a book still being written. Yes, it's not over yet. Yes. So how do we know how this is all going to play out? Yes. How are we going to know? what God's going to say about it or what, how he's going to feel about it. And how can we create a moral monopoly on what those things will be when historically humans have always gotten it wrong? Can we, okay. So I'm, I'm still stuck on this, on the, um, the duty to speak the truth and love at on all times. the duty to speak the truth yeah. and love at all times, because that gets under my skin in a very special way. Explain pontificate it <laughs> because this to me is an example of adhering to an ideology in the face of absurdity. It's, it's an example of, of holding to believing that something works in the face of totally contrary evidence. And that what that says to me is that it's actually about ego. Mm. You, When I hear people speak the truth in love, I almost always know it isn't about me. It's about you. It's about your insecurity. It's about your your discomfort it's about it's about you and show me a time when it works and show me a time that isn't a a fluke that it isn't just a a weird blip show me a time where it really genuinely works in a consistent way right. and it doesn't yeah and, and and i think this ties into I think this ties into one of the Beatitudes where Jesus says, if you are blessed are those who are mocked for my name, blessed are those who are hated and mocked or persecuted, persecuted. And so there's this weird idea that, well, if I say something that's that, that offends people, if I say something that's just douchebaggery, but you should, you should understand that disagreement does not equal persecution. Disagreement does not equal persecution. And just because you say something that doesn't work, right. And then people don't like you for it. That doesn't mean that you are more holy 
Right. And and so there to me this is the even this is to me this is evangelical masturbation. Right. To me this is fortifying what feels good to them, what feels good to their ego, and it has nothing to do with me. Yeah. Well, w- when you believe that what you believe is morally superior, yes, then anyone that disagrees with you, it isn't just a disagreement. It's actually a no and. You, we're fundamentally different on way more vested, levels than we should be. And there's a vested interest in, in maintaining that. And there's right. a vested interest in, in maintaining those protected walls. And I think, quote unquote, speaking the truth in love is one of those walls because it keeps the debate from happening. It keeps the conversation from happening. I've, I've had people in my life confront me about things. I've, I've had people do this well. And I've had people do it not so well. Me too. I've had people confront me about things that simply made them uncomfortable and things that were, um, that affected them adversely. And that was kind of it. And I've also had people that have come to me and actually spoken the truth in love out of true concern. It wasn't a way to put themselves above me or to control my behavior. It was and most of the time, you can tell when someone's speaking the truth to you in love. Yes. If you have somebody who is in the trenches of life with you. Exactly. And loves you and is sacrificing on your behalf constantly. Yes. Trust that person over the yes. other person who is kind of always at a distance from you. Who decides that they know what's best for your life when they don't even know you. They don't know the whole story because they're not as involved in your life enough to know what the whole story is. So here's a boundary that I've actually put down, and I've articulated this in other places. Yes. What I tell people is, if you don't do life with me, I don't give a fuck what you have to tell me. <laughs> because what you're going to tell me is something that I've heard a million times. Sure. And I'm willing to bet money that you will not say it in a way that I haven't already heard. Mm. It's impossible at this point. Mm. I will listen to you if you have done life with me and if you know me. That gives you authority to speak. If you don't know me, if you haven't journeyed with me, and if you start to have that intervention conversation of speaking truth and love, I'm out of there. I'm done. (laughs) I'm turning around and walking away. And let me tell you a story. So I actually have two stories, one one awful and one hilarious. Yeah. I was at work. For those who don't know, I'm a manager at a at a locally owned grocery store. And I was just innocently minding my own business. Sure. This little old church lady who is the wife of a professor, uh, actually, who we both know. Oh. Who will remain nameless. On mic. <laughs> nameless on mic. Nameless on mic. Yeah. I'll, I'll tell you afterwards. <clears throat> but... Um, and this this woman has known me my entire life, and she yeah. was she went to my church and so on and so forth. And and I'm ringing her up as she's bagging her stuff and heading out the door. She says, "I still love you, Stephen, even though you love the wrong person." What the hell? And I just stopped and I was like, "Did you really say that to me?" And so I followed her out the door. It's not about you, exactly. <laughs> and so I <laughs> what? and so I followed. And so I followed her out the door as she was going out. And I said, what do you mean by that? And she said, oh, oh, I mean Jesus. You don't love Jesus is what she meant. Oh, wow. I love you even though you don't love the right person, the right person being Jesus. And I and the subtext here is because I'm gay. Oh, my I gosh. Know. I feel I'm, like it just got worse. Yes. I feel like I assumed that she meant 
like because you because you love a man yes. instead of a it woman. Was, but and she's I'm actually talking sure about it's that and Jesus. That's what I heard, and and I looked at her and I said, I love Jesus very much. She said, Oh, I'm I'm glad to hear that. And I said, Well, what makes you think that I don't? But you clearly don't believe it. Yeah, and and I said, Well, what what makes you think that I don't? And she said, Oh, I don't know. And I was like, you bitch. You should. If you're going to say that <laughs> and, to somebody, you really should know. And I was like, if, if it's be, and I, what I wanted to say was, if it's because I'm gay, just go ahead and say it. I would yeah. rather you just fucking say it right. to me. And that's what I'm thinking. Yeah. And, but instead, you know, what I say is, well, you, you just shouldn't make judgments like that. Mm. And I walk back inside. That. You is, sure showed her, Stephen. That is idiotic. <laughs> I was just so angry. I was I was I was as kind and patient as I could be. But, sure. And I I don't I wish conversations like that wouldn't get to me, but they do. That was an example of speaking truth in love in her mind, probably. Right. In in her mind, it was her responsibility. In her mind, it was her responsibility to come in and judge you. And and what I want to tell people to do is to just stop for a moment and look at the actual effects of your words. What I want to tell people is, and what I want to tell her is, do you value a relationship with me? Do you <clears throat> value our relationship? Then speaking the truth in love is not how you maintain speaking it. Speaking the truth in love is letting the truth speak for itself. Yes. And speaking the truth in love is... Is is only when you have that authority, that that love. Yes, exactly. And when, it isn't about when you. someone can't deny that you love them. Mm-hmm. So, so I have another story of someone speaking the truth and love to me. Yes. Okay. So I'm I'm again at work. Oh God, Matt, we could do a whole podcast <laughs> just about the the crazy bullshit that I have to endure at work. You could work. call it paper or plastic. It could be yes. <laughs> it could be paper or plastic. Paper plastic. That would podcast. be great. Oh my god, uh, the life and times of a grocery store manager. Yes. Okay, so so I'm on break and I have ten minutes and it's a crazy day. Yeah. At the store and I'm I have ten minutes for a break to yeah. sit down and I'm eating my salad and and I'm in the employee area and it's it's not quite separated from the store it's just kind of behind yep. the wall and so you can still see us but but it's kind of divided off uh-huh. okay so this skinny blonde woman with glasses complete stranger yeah. to me and I had rung her up earlier that day she just comes and sits down yeah at the table with me oh wow she comes in, and sit, in the employee area in the employee area she's she not just, supposed to be there no she just comes and sits down and and I'm like oh goodness because I'm thinking, oh, God, there's going to be a complaint. There's something I'm going to have to deal with for customer service. That's quite a complaint to come sit down Yes, I know. I was like, oh, God. What are you in for? <laughs> what happened? She looks at me and she says, I just love Jesus so much. <laughs> 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 and I'm like. Cool story. And she tells me, she proceeds to tell me that she was driving away from the store. She was about five miles away. And she on her way to Rattlesnake Baptist. I, I guess so, or somewhere. <laughs> and she told me that God told her to turn around and find me. Wow. And tell me that God told her to turn around to tell me that she heard the Peanuts theme song. <laughs> <laughs> it might be so wrong to laugh at this, but the absurdity of it okay. is just... She, that she heard the Peanut theme song, and she starts singing it to me. da 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 Da, 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 da. Okay, so she's singing it to me. And at this point, I'm thinking, 
literally all I fucking want right now is to eat my salad. <laughs> so God told her to come find you, sit down at your table, and sing me. Tell tell you that she loves him, and that a song about nuts reminded, <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> reminded her. Of- <laughs> okay, and that this means okay, it gets even better. This means. That there was a Lucy-like figure in my life, like Lucy from the Peanuts, a Lucy-like figure in my life who's now dead. What you're deciding this, or she's telling you? No, this? she's telling me. This. She, okay, she tells me. She's dream interpreting. Now, yes, yeah, she's she's interpreting her hearing, the, her yeah. having a hallucination of the Peanuts <laughs> song. Okay, so she. <laughs> this, okay, this happened last week. I might add, this was, this is in my recent memory. Okay, okay, so she she tells me that this means yeah. that. There was a Lucy-like figure in my life who I loved very dearly, and she died. And this Lucy figure is dead. Okay. Okay. And, and she's like, now, I hear from dead people. And I'm like, uh-huh. <laughs> and she's like- Well, technically heard- Jesus died. Yes, technically so Jesus died. It stands and, to reason. And she's like, you know, I God wanted her to communicate to me that he loves you and that- that God loves you and you're so precious and you're so good and and really nice stuff. I'm like, this is yeah. nice. And she says, now don't get me wrong, I don't talk to dead people. And I'm like, it, it sounds a lot like you talk to dead people. Um, well, certainly you hear from them. But, exactly. I and, mean, she, <laughs> and she was like, now don't get me wrong, I don't talk back. I hear from them, but I don't talk back. Because that would be sinful. It, because that would be sinful. Yeah. And she starts sobbing. Stephen, what did you do? <laughs> no, she's she's so moved by this story that she's telling me. She's so emotional over this that tears are literally streaming down her face. And I oh, no. have and I am exhausted and I'm trying to eat my salad and I'm like I I can't deal. I cannot fucking deal with this right now. Sure. And so she's sitting there sobbing telling me that there's this person in heaven, yeah. who loves me, that she's hearing from. And then my favorite line of all is when she looked at me and tears are streaming down her face. And she oh, says, no. and this dead Lucy in heaven can't wait to play with you again. <laughs> oh, my and all gosh. I, and all I can think is, all I can think. Do you mean Lucy in the sky with diamonds? Maybe. I don't know. Or I, th- I think she's mixing genres. Dead some. Lucy in heaven. Dead Lucy in heaven can't, play, can't, can't wait, wait to, to play, play with, with you again. again. And, so if she's in heaven, is she still dead? And all I can think of is The Shining. Like, come play with us. Yeah. Um, and then this she... This is amazing. Yes. And then finally, a cashier comes to get me because it was busy up front. And I'm like, thank you so much. That that really meant a lot to me. And I gave her a hug. And oh, I walked away. <laughs> Steven, the consummate showman. You... <laughs> Well, you know, when she you work in, that. when you, yes, okay, so. You, you made the right call. That was very, that was very that, gracious that of is, you. That is incredibly tangential, but, you know, just an example of, I think that when you speak the truth and love to people, yes. it seems that crazy. It is, it seems. When you're actually doing it, like when you're doing it in the bad way or in the, when you're doing in it the in the affirming way. When you're doing it in the bad way. It kind of sounds that crazy. That is how it yeah. sounds to us people. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. You might as well be telling me that this dead Lucy figure in heaven sang you the Peanuts theme song (laughs) and that she she can't wait to play with me in heaven again. Okay, that's how it comes across. Yeah. Anyway, I just had to share that story with you, Matt. Yeah. 
We can move on now. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you so much for sharing it. Um, I'm a better person for it. I feel like you just spoke the truth to love in love to me. Um, Article 12 of the Nashville State. Oh God! Every time we get to a new article, I'm like, oh God. I don't know if this article manifests some more uh, paper or plastic stories. I think we might have a good thing going. <laughs> okay, yes. Um, okay, so Article 12. We affirm that the grace of God in Christ gives both merciful pardon and transforming power. Merciful what? Pardon. Okay. And transforming power. And that this pardon and power enable a follower of Jesus to put to death sinful desires and to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. So this is clearly this sort of like... Gay con- this is like the principle of gay conversion therapy is my understanding of it, so please correct me if I'm wrong, yeah. is that people are constantly just in denial that, yeah. that, that you feel the way that you feel or that you're being honest about how you feel and that God and Christ, it's their intention to give you enough transformative power from seeking them, but only if you're seeking them, to enable you as a follower of Christ to put to death sinful desires yeah there, there are two ways you can go with this this, this feels like magic you, to me yeah it is magic you can serve god yeah. and pray to him enough that he will decide to lessen that burden on your life or to offer you a deliverance from from yeah. whatever it is it is, that, it is magic and you can go two ways with this you can go christ is going to to transform me and i'm going to become heterosexual and i'm going to be able to have a wife or husband if if you're a lesbian or I'm just called to constant denial constantly, mm. perpetual, uh, till, till my death. And I think, I think the church needs something better. I think if we take a good hard look at that, it starts to break down. I think this kind of makes sense. Yeah. It makes sense when you only look at individual stories. Okay. Okay. So if you look at Wesley Hill's story, if you if you look at, I have several other side side B. I wouldn't call Wesley Hill a friend. We we were Twitter acquaintances, but I have sure. I have side B friends. I have celibate friends who, if you looked at them individually, you would say, okay, they're living all all right. They're in a lot of pain, but they're getting through. You know, it's okay. And, and they're living a beautiful life the best they can. I think that is a myopic view. I mm. think that is a tragically narrow view. Right. I think you have to expand this and look at the consequences of this ideology, this non-affirming ideology on the entire gay community. Yeah. On an entire people group. A people group the size of a, uh, the size of a country. Yeah. Okay. <clears throat> Here's the problem. There's something that Andrew Marin, uh, who, who's a bridge building guy uh, between the, the gay world and the, and the church, and I, I dislike a lot of what Andrew Marin says, but he does say he, he's right on this, where he says what he calls the, the 2080 principle. The church has a skewed understanding of how this all works. Because sure. <clears throat> let's say 20% of the gay community comes to you mm. and says, I'm not at peace with this. Yeah. 
and actually it's probably a much lower number, much, much, much lower number than that. But 20% comes to you, the church, and says, I'm not at peace with this. I want to change this. And the church says, well, great. We're going to set up ministries. We're going to do all this for you. Yeah. And then they say, look at the wonderful ministry that we have to the gay community. Of course. And and they think that this tiny percentage is somehow indicative of the entire gay community. Mm. So they are not looking at the consequences yeah. of this ideology on the entire community, on the invisible we, on the invisible us who will never go to their church, who will never, they they don't look at the consequences of when stuff like this gets legislated, for example. Okay. There's that huge breakdown. So they look at these individual stories and it is this myopic, claustrophobic view. And I think we have to expand beyond that and when we look at the consequences on society, what are the consequences on a, an entire community when you deny them the affirmation of their <clears throat> relationships? I think we know exactly what happens. Mm. I think it creates the—I'll probably get a lot of heat for this. I think it creates the setup for an AIDS epidemic to wipe out hundreds of thousands of gay people. Mm. When we do not affirm relationships, secure relationships that are safe and healthy and supported by society, well, mm. guess what? It's going to break out into, uh, into a horrible disease, a, a, a horrible—that that means that they are ripe mm. to be taken out by something like AIDS mm. because society doesn't support them. Society does not provide the supports— yeah, to have a sustainable relationship. That's so interesting because that that is a <clears throat> that's a point that I would never connect the dots to. Yeah. So it's really interesting to hear. I I think that in a tangential way, the non-affirming church has blood on their hands. Yeah, because to not support <clears throat> gay relationships on a on a societal level has grave consequences. We have to stop looking at the exceptions. We have to stop looking at these few individuals within the church who make it work. And honestly, most people, most gay Christians are like me, where they tried it and they move on. They try to be celibate or they try to be ex-gay. And it's too painful and they move on. I'm not, I don't think that that is because oh, they're weak, oh, they're sinful. I think it's actually because it doesn't work. Mm. And yeah. so, yeah, those are, those are my <laughs> thoughts on it. Also, I had this thought earlier in the conversation, but I, but I didn't get a chance to say it. Let me put to rest this notion that I gave way to the wider culture when I came out. You know, there's that narrative. Mm. There's that right. There's that na- is also for you of becoming being affirming of gay people. Well, it's that because you, you can't are, because they make the story yes into if you believe this or or you then, somehow want to be affirming of those people or even if you're reaching out to them in what you consider to be love. Yes, you, you. What you're doing is normal. You're normalizing evil, and you are bowing to and the sin. prevailing culture. You are yes. right. Right. Okay. Here's what I want to tell people who say that. Yeah. You are my culture. Yeah. Okay? The conservative world is my world. It is my culture, and it was all I knew. I did not leave that worldview because I was bowing to the wider culture. You are my wider culture. All right? What I don't understand is why Christians are constantly caught up within a culture war. 
Because as somebody who's oh, been boy. on both sides of it. Yes, me too. I can tell you that, I, I gosh, I didn't realize how many enemies I had within Christendom for just thinking for myself. Yeah. And that was it. And it's like, not everything, like, I don't understand why we have to vilify the world around us. We have to build up our own walls. We have to feel like it is this greater... We, Christians love this sort of WWF narrative of the world where it's like we're constantly at battle with yes. Satan and his minions. And I'm like, you know, what I what I understand of the world is that we actually don't need Satan to fuck it up. I think we'll do that on our own. We, we'll do it. We really job. will. I actually kind of feel sorry for him at this point because I think he gets a bad rap. Like, <laughs> I, I think that he gets the blame for so many terrible things. For so much awful yeah stuff. and I, I guess it maybe it just depends on what you think he is if he is just a a, a metaphorical manifestation of all the yeah. things that that degrade society and humanity or if he's an actual like angel as the bible would say like mm. I, and i kind of just don't care because again yeah. whatever gets your attention gets you it's like yes there's evil in the world there absolutely is there are terrible things happening in the world yes but what i see is that there's an entire group of people there's an entire community of people who are constantly being hurt by the church yes. and if the church was doing something right we would be seeing the fruit of that we would be seeing exactly. it healing people and we would be seeing a more positive response but it's not happening exactly. it's only getting worse so it's exactly. like well then it's stupid to not at least open up your mind and your heart to thinking about something in a new way, in the same way that the earth doesn't look the same way that it did three, four hundred yes. years ago. <laughs> like, yes. Okay, let's let's move yeah, on. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> All right. Well, so Article Twelve also has a we deny, we deny that the grace. Oh, we of didn't God. even get to the I know, deny. We didn't. Oh God. We just we lit into it. We lit okay. into it. There's only two more after this, okay. so we're yeah we're, we're totally good. We're getting there. Um, we deny that the grace of God in Christ is insufficient to forgive all sexual sins and to give power for holiness to every believer who feels drawn into sexual sin um okay yeah, yeah whatevs yeah good <laughs> article 13 oh gosh there's 13 <laughs> at, articles <laughs> at this point we're just like meh it would because as superstitious as this statement sounds it, it almost stands to reason that they would have omitted a 13th article yes it should have been <laughs> it should have actually been 14 but right we, <laughs> it goes from 12 to 14 like the hotels that that don't have a 13th floor yeah so article 13 says we affirm that the grace of God in Christ enables sinners to forsake transgender self-conceptions and by divine forbearance to accept the God-ordained link between one's biological sex and one's self-conception as male or female. So if you are completely within Christ's purpose for you and on the path he wants you on, that at some point this becomes a non sequitur because he'll fix it. Yeah. We uh. deny... So, so okay, we don't okay, lose yes, it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We deny that the grace of God in Christ sanctions self-conceptions that are at odds with God's revealed will. Okay, say that one more time. We we deny that the grace of God in Christ sanctions self-conceptions that are at odds okay. with God. So if you believe anything differently than this, you're you don't believe what God has to say about it. Yeah. And and Christ doesn't sanction that belief. He doesn't sanction self-conception. Okay. Uh, I feel like this is, I feel like we've already pretty adequately covered 
cover that in yeah, previous Yeah, anytime it, somebody it else like, is trying to tell me, yeah. it, I, be wary of anyone who wants to tell you God's will for your life. Exactly. Instant red flag. Instant red flag. Okay, are we... Are we... <laughs> who to listen to? We have one more article. We have one more. Oh, God. <laughs> Matt, I'm so glad you're a friend I, and not... <laughs> <laughs> well, no, I mean, I feel like I, I actually feel like maybe we're feeling for the audience right now because yes. this is just so tiring. It is so tiring. I mean, by the time we get through all of this, it's like, oh my god, and people I, have jobs. And I hope this, and I hope this series is like actually enjoyable and not just. We'll only know when we, we listen will find, back through oh, it. Oh, I guess. I'm knocking. I'm knocking things over. Yeah. we will only find find out once we post it. Yeah. Yeah, so, okay, Article 14, the 14th and final article Praise uh, God. in the Star Wars saga. Uh, we affirm that Christ Jesus has come into the world to save sinners and that through Christ's death and resurrection, forgiveness of sins and eternal life are available to every person who repents of sin. So this is the altar call at mm-hmm. the very end. Oh, yeah. Okay, okay got it. And trust in Christ alone as Savior, Lord, and supreme treasure. It sounds a little piratey to put the supreme treasure in <laughs> Article 14. That, maybe that's just me. And I watch too much SpongeBob. Like, it sounds like Mr. Krabs would love a supreme treasure. He would be totally affirming of Article 14. Um, we deny that the Lord's arm is too short. <laughs> Go. Too God with like T-Rex arms. <laughs> T-Rex arm Jesus. Um, we deny that the Lord's arm is too short to save or that any sinner is beyond his reach. So, like again, I think I understand the intent of this. Yeah. Like, I think that what they're what they're trying to say is like, oh, but there's you can't you can't stray too far. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like he leaves the ninety nine to find the one hundredth. I understand that, but it's said within the context of all this other stuff where they're like, if you don't agree with all this other stuff, you're not one of us. You're not a Christian. Like you, you and can't never, even affirm LGBT people, and never mind the fact that we don't even mention all of the horrible things that have been done. None, LGBT people. none whatsoever. It's like I'm sorry, before you say this, before you, C.S. Lewis and the Great, or no, not the Great Divorce, and the Four Loves has this great, has this great passage where he says the Church is going to have to stand before the world and apologize for its sins before mm. it can be accepted in any way. Yeah, and. I'm sorry if if you want to to meet me and if you expect me as a gay person to listen to you to to receive what you have to say the burden is not on me to do that the yeah. burden is not on me to accept what you have to say after all of these horrific things that have been done to us well that so that's actually <clears throat> something I, that I wanted to ask you before the yeah, podcast yeah, yeah. was over like I feel like we know each other pretty well and that we've covered an awful lot in the reading of the Nashville Statement. Yeah, we have. But something like within the first 20 minutes of us doing this, I, I kind of, and then I just decided to wait till the end of the podcast. Yeah, yeah to do sure. This. But I'm like, what? I know the things that make me really uncomfortable about mm-hmm. how the LGBT community is being treated. And I obviously have my own thoughts and experiences about it. But as a straight person, what what is it that I'm still not getting? Mm. Like what like if you if you had and, and obviously I know that you, you would be the first person to be like, I don't speak for all of this community. It's a huge, vast yeah. and diverse community with lots of different thoughts and ideas about all of this stuff. But 
yeah, I mean, like if you had a chance to kind of speak to the every every man who to, has not had your experience to speak to you in truth and love. Sh- yes, please. <laughs> oh, only in truth and love, Stephen. Um, <clears throat> yeah, but like, what is it? What is it that I am constantly getting wrong? What am I not getting right? What is the thing I'm not seeing? What would make the conversation easier if I would acknowledge or admit? That's a great question. Honestly, I, to me, it is more about posture than having information. Mm. I think posture comes before having the facts. Okay. Okay, so I think you have the right posture. Mm. Does that make sense? Sure. Okay, so I, and, and I think that you are, we will always never know enough. Mm. Right. Okay. So we we will, or maybe we will know enough, but we will never have the whole picture, and that's the miracle of life. That that's the miracle of this ongoing journey called life. Is right. that we need one another in order to put the picture together. Yeah. We need each other's perspective, and we need to learn, and we're more prone to be wrong than we are to be right, and that's just a fact of life. And so you will never have the complete picture, and I will ha- never have a complete picture, and so that to me isn't the issue with people. Okay. To me, the issue is what is your posture towards the gay community? Okay. And I think you have the right posture, which is one of I think humility, and let me hear your stories. Yeah. Let me listen. And I am more concerned with people being willing to do that than get everything right. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. absolutely. And that's, that's where I'm at. I'm, I'm much more concerned that people know how to learn. That sounds very relational. Exactly. And, you know, I've, a, um, a great teacher of mine once said to me that there are four stages of learning. Yeah. And my job is to get people from stage one to stage two. Stage one of learning is unconsciously incompetent. Mm. Okay, that is where you are so ignorant you don't know anything. Right. You don't, you, where you're so ignorant you don't know yeah. that you're ignorant. Okay, and that is the most dangerous place. Sure. Because you speak from a place of confidence. You speak from a place of, of misguided authority. And that causes mm. so much havoc and so much harm that you yeah. don't even see. The greatest damage in the world, I think, is done by well-meaning moral busybodies who, who are... <laughs> <laughs> I, kind of, I kind of like that. Uh, well-meaning that moral... That imagery. Yeah, and they, and they, are, they are innocently convinced that they are right mm. and so innocently convinced that they don't see the harm they're doing. Okay, that, that, and the hardest journey is to go from that to consciously incompetent, mm. which is stage Innocently two. convinced, I... <sighs> That just that resonates so much with me because I feel like I have that. That was completely me at one point. Yeah, and it was me too. Yeah, it's it's been all of us in some shape or form. I feel like my job is to help people into that place of being consciously incompetent, of mm. realizing that they are ignorant, realizing that this is a world in which a, a world about which they have no idea, they have right. no clue of what life is like for someone like me. Yeah, and well. You have at that point a choice. When you realize that you are consciously incompetent, you have a moral choice. You can choose to shut it down and uh, double down. And that is the the cowardly way. Mm. That is the the tragic path. And it's actually antithetical to what we know of Christ in the Bible. And it's just antithetical of what it means to be a person of integrity. But Mm. a lot of people choose that path. Yeah. I could have easily chosen that path. The other choice 
is humility and to say, I don't know, maybe I was wrong. And I want to learn. That's the posture that I want to see in people that I'm trying to encourage. I mean, the interesting thing um, that I'm drawing from this is that, particularly if you're a Christian, you're very familiar with the metaphor of the wide path and the narrow. Yeah. Okay. And staying on the straight and narrow. And Jesus fuck. I I uh, get. By the way, every single fucking day at the store, I throw away tracks like gospel tracks uh, that sh- show that <clears throat> thing all the time. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah, but but I also I feel like that imagery even to this day has kind of stuck with me. But what I consider those paths to be has changed dramatically. Where I feel like the, let's just sit and regurgitate something from a book that we read. We don't really have any foundation for why, for knowing why we believe it. We don't really have any life experience to back up all the things that are contradictory about it. But you know what? It just feels really safe because there's a lot of us here and there's strength in numbers. And let's just kind of all band together and there. And to me, that's the wide path. And the narrow path is is the one that so few people take. Where it's like, before you decide what you think about it, go live some life with somebody. Like, go ask them what they think about something. Take the ideas to their furthest conclusions. Right. And I think it it's the path of intellectual integrity. And there's nothing more terrifying mm. than to confront life and this mass chaos of on beautiful, huge chaos upon which we are just a tiny blip and to say, I don't know. Yeah. That is terrifying. And you know, we we fortify ourselves against it to to look at reality and say, mm, I don't know, but the truth is we don't know. And and to to make the choice to say that and to lean into that. That there's a reason this podcast is called Sacred Tension because mm-hmm. I think it's in those places of being consciously incompetent of seeing our ignorance, saying I might be wrong, leaning into those mysterious, uncomfortable places. That's where actually also where the magic happens. Mm. It's the most painful places yeah. to be. But I think it is where we, I think that's why we're here. Right. I think what gives life its great beauty and meaning mm. is when we push into those places. Yes. That's why I'm here. Whether I like it or not, I've come here for this. Yeah. And... When we miss that, it's incredibly tragic. Yeah. You know, when, when we forego that, when we have a life in which we, we avoid those uncomfortable places, that's just sad to me. And so, yeah. you know, there's, a, there's part of me that's kind of a provocateur, and I, and I want to push people into that place. But rather, I, I've learned over the years that the best thing that I can do is to be more of like a wilderness guide. And Yeah, the to, whole, like, you can lead a horse to water... Or something, sort of thing, something you, like yeah. that. To to be a wilderness guide, to be, I have lived in these painful and uncomfortable places my mm. entire life because yeah. I was born into it. I didn't have any choice. Oops, I didn't have any choice. I was born into it, and now I feel like my job is to gently lead people, mm. lead people into this place of of profound discomfort. Yeah, and. Some people hate me for it. I, people have told me that that I've ruined their lives. I feel like I feel like you could have actually named your podcast "Profound Discomfort." Um, it, I could have. 
I, th- I think so that great. actually sums up my life. It's profound discomfort. Yeah. And you know, I'm I'm at a point now where I and I never thought I would say this. And every time I I think about this, I just marvel at this that I'm actually an incredibly happy person because mm. that has not been the case for most of my life. Mm. Okay, I'm because of these dissonances. Yeah. I've been a profoundly unhappy person, deeply agonized. Yeah. And just in in really deep torment, either because of mental health issues or because of being gay in the church or what have you. Yeah. And I'm at a point now where I am incredibly happy despite I, and I'm happy with the person I've become despite this dissonance. Yeah. And I'm happy, I think, because I've learned to live with it. Mm. I think I'm I'm deeply content because I've learned to live with the monster. And a great movie called The Babadook is a fantastic metaphor for this. Where oh, at the my very gosh. end, you know, the Babadook is this is this monster that represents grief and depression and all yeah. of these things, all of these horrible things. And you know, the more she pushes it away, the more this main character pushes tries to push it away, the more monstrous and horrifying it becomes. Yeah. And the more evil and the more deadly it becomes. Yeah. When the truth is you can't get rid of the Babadook. Yeah. I have accepted <clears throat> that I can never get rid of the Babadook. I can't get rid of these hard questions. And mm. so at the end of the movie, she has learned to live, to with, live it. with it. Yeah. She's learned to live with the Babadook. And I feel like that's kind of what I've done. And that isn't to say that... Oh, spoilers. I just realized oh, that. Because you and I have both seen that <laughs> yes. movie, so we know. So we know, but... That isn't to say that I don't go through really, really, really hard spots, and I'm still in the woods, you know. I, and I'll probably still be figuring out what I believe until the day I die. But to me, I, I've just found this comfort and and delight in the journey itself. Yeah, and being content with being a a, the, a, a theological and intellectual hitchhiker, and instead yeah. of finding a home. Mm. And, and, you know, there is that pain, there is that grief of not feeling like I have a home. You know, I can't totally be a person of faith. I can't totally be an atheist. I, I like, can't, I you know like what I mean? Yeah. And, and so finding peace yeah. in that in-between place. I've, it's, it's so funny that you say that, or actually it's not funny. It's, it's encouraging Good. Um, that you would say that because I've, you know, I feel like possibly you and I have both just been, I don't know outsiders to some degree absolutely i always feel like i just wasn't born with whatever the thing is that makes you be able to integrate into a group really easily me too you know what i mean story of my life yeah and it's like it's not that i don't want to be a part of a group it's just that maybe i've spent so much of my life being my own group and making my own group yeah and and trying to help everybody else who still can't find their group yeah I'm a, I'm a voice for the outside. Yeah, that, that's that's what I feel more comfortable doing now. And now to spend too much time in one group actually makes me feel uncomfortable. uncomfortable. Yeah, yeah like too. I've got to get out of here. This is, yeah. I don't know what's about to happen. I figured maybe we would just like go over really quickly. There's a preamble to... Oh, oh uh, God, there's more. Yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right. To the well, Nashville statement. Okay. How about if I read this one, actually? Yeah. Yeah. yeah if, go for it. How about if I'll, I'll just. Yeah. And what we should have done was to to do this at the top of the hour, the first podcast. But for some reason, it kind of fell through the cracks. Yeah. Well, that's okay. Yeah. But it's it's easily accessible online. And for everybody that's that's been listening, thank you for for sticking uh, sticking with us throughout these four episodes because we it really has been therapeutic yeah, in a lot of ways been, to just be able to talk it through. And obviously. 
like Stephen and I kind of land on, on in this place where we vehemently sort of disagree with the tone. Yes, absolutely. Of, of the statement and with uh, even a lot of the things that they sort of assume within it. But we also know that like there's a whole other side of the story that's not represented in the discussion, but it's actually not. <laughs> it's not really important to us in this podcast. Yeah, uh, yeah. The, the um, purpose, the purpose of this specific series is to just kind of vent this yeah. out. Is to is to work this out on our own, and we are definitely very open to 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 having someone on who disagrees with us. Yeah, I am very open to that, and and also I always hear from from people who disagree with me on the blog as well, and so I welcome all. Well, if there's anything the that's made the, the the podcast not as interesting as it could be, it's that we haven't had. Yeah, a, a scapegoat, sure. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> or that, that we can just beat on. <laughs> for the... right. Yeah. All right. So let me let me read the preamble, and if at any point you want to interrupt me, just just go ahead. Okay. Okay. Know that the Lord Himself is God. It is He who has made us, and not we ourselves. So setting the tone. Setting the tone. Psalm one hundred, verse three. Okay. Evangelical Christians. At the dawn of the 21st century, find themselves living in a period of historic transition. As Western culture has become increasingly post-Christian, it has embarked upon what? <laughs> I, I already, as you're reading this, I'm seeing it as like an intro to a Star Wars. Yes, me too. Or, or like I can do the, the voiceover. Yes. The voiceover in like one of those old 80s fantasy movies or like Buck Rogers yes. or like some weird like futuristic okay, so, sort of a thing at the dawn of the 21st century okay so <laughs> dear Christians. dear listeners you can imagine that <laughs> my my melodious voice as you're reading at it, the beginning yeah, of a movie okay it's, it's the star wars text floating off exactly as Western culture has become increasingly post-Christian, it has embarked upon a massive revision of what it means to be a human being. By and large, the spirit of our age no longer discerns or delights in the beauty of God's design for human life. So, so they've they've been talking with the spirit of our age. Yep, yep. So even though it's yeah, a, it's they, an they evil went out thing, to coffee. With yeah, that. and and they now they know because okay, many deny that God created human beings for His glory and that His good purposes for us include our our personal and physical design as male and female. It is common to think that human identity as male and female is not part of God's beautiful plan, but is rather an expression of an individual's autonomous preferences. The pathway to, fu- to full and lasting joy through God's good design for his creatures is thus replaced by the path of short-sighted alternatives that sooner or later ruin human life and dishonor God. Ruin, him ruin human-, human life. Wow. I would love... Okay, here's, here's the hypothesis theory again. Here is a testable fact. This is something that can actually be observable and testable. <laughs> okay. And if it ruins human life, you're entering into the realm of hard science. And if you're going to make a claim like that, you need to back it up with data. Okay. But what about all the people following the Bible, literally, and all of the people adhering to these rules and these regulations and this idea of how life should be lived, okay, and or people that are in marriages, yes. that are heterosexual marriages, and doing all the right things and still getting... Divorced. Still getting divorced. Yep, yes. Still living unhealthy lives that, that kind of no... check all the boxes for Christianity, but are making them miserable. When To me, when I look <clears throat> at the way marriage plays out, 
I see that marriage is no prerequisite for morality. Okay. Morality can exist with or without marriage, in mm. my opinion. Sure. Okay. I think marriage is good. I think marriage is awesome. But so, so there's moving... a lot of marriage that that isn't moral. Okay, moving yeah. on. This, the secular spirit of our age presents a great challenge to the Christian church. Will the church of the Lord Jesus Christ lose her biblical conviction, clarity, and courage and blend into the spirit of the age? Or will she hold fast to the word of God, draw courage <laughs> from Jesus, and unashamedly proclaim his way as the way of life? Will she maintain her clear countercultural witness to a world that seems bent on ruin? Okay, so okay. Th- this Again, actually sounds are, like a... These are testable facts. These, right. these are testable claims <clears throat> that homosexuality results in ruin. I don't believe the data backs that up. It's based on false... It's, it, this is, again, a hypothesis. What I do believe is that this could have possibly been written by whoever's writing all of the pure flicks movies um, that this actually sounds like an opening monologue to like some kind of face the giants kind of movie. Like, like they're about to make a movie. Like they've worked themselves up. It's all, all the white guys in the room together talking about wieners. Or this is is the speech that they give at the very end. Yes. Yes. And (laughs) (laughs) the set, but, but the other thing too is like, they've also, fabricated like unless you've read the bible like you wouldn't know a context for like spirit of the of the age and it's even kind of a stretch to say well we know what that is and now we're going to use it it's almost like they've created their own darth vader they've created that they're calling yeah a a secular spirit of the age and like not really with anything to back that up other than just that whatever's happening is kind of pissing them off exactly okay let, let's let's okay oh. yeah okay i'm gonna power through these last yes, two paragraphs yes. okay we are persuaded that faithfulness in our generation means declaring once again the true story of the world and our place in it particularly as male and female christian scripture teaches that there is but one god who alone is creator and lord of all to him alone every person owes glad-hearted thanksgiving heartfelt praise and total allegiance this is the path not only of glorifying god but of knowing our ourselves to forget our creator is to forget who we are for he made us for himself and we cannot know ourselves truly without truly knowing him who made us we did not make ourselves we are not our own our true identity as male and female persons is given by god it is not only foolish but hopeless to try to make ourselves what god did not create us to be. We believe that God's design for his creation and his way of salvation serve to bring him the greatest glory and bring us the greatest good. God's plan, uh, God's good plan provides us with the greatest freedom. Jesus said he became, Jesus said he came that we might have uh, Jesus said that he came that we might have life and have it in overflowing measure. Okay. He is for us and not against us. Therefore, in the hope of serving Christ's church and witnessing publicly in the good purposes of God the human, the human for human sexuality revealed in Christian scripture, we offer the following affirmations and denials. Oh Here are my God. thoughts. Here are my thoughts. Yes. There's this terror. And I actually just wrote another article about this as well. There's this terror that if we don't, okay, what, what was the sentence? And we cannot know ourselves truly without truly knowing him who made us. Okay. That there one kind of got me too. There is a terror. There yeah. is a terror in the Christian world. And I had this, that if we 
stop outsourcing our identity and our foundational principles to this external ethereal thing called God, then the whole world is going to fall apart. <laughs> okay, there's this terror, right? Right. Yeah, there's this terror that if we outsource, if we stop outsourcing where our starting point yeah. What I mean by our starting point is our foundational worldview and the foundation upon which we build our our understanding of the world. Mm-hmm. If we stop outsourcing that foundational point to something outside of ourselves, then the whole thing is going to crumble. Yeah. I think, and this is what I have finally come to, I think that there is nothing more unstable to build a foundation upon mm. than God for an identity. Okay, because our perception of God is constantly changing. Mm. Our perception, and through history, God is constantly changing, right? In church history, God is changing. Who we believe God to be is changing. I now find the people who are interpreting God's will are always changing. Exactly. Yeah. Okay, so I now find it much more healthy to place my principle, to have my principles founded in my own being. Yeah. And and in this reality here and now. Mm. I can do that while still believing in God. Yeah. Okay. I can I can believe in sexual morality. I can believe in goodness and kindness and compassion and love. Yeah. I can believe that there is such a thing as immorality and sin. I can believe in all of that, starting with the here and now founded on my own being yeah. and in my own experience. Yeah. And in my own study and reason, I can do that when I, but if I outsource all of that to God, yeah, it is a very unstable foundation. Well, and actually the more that you outsource to God, the more conflict arises by other people who have inadvertently sort of also outsourced yes. their morality to God. Exactly. And so their perceptions of and God are totally different than yours. So now your morality is wrong because the, you've challenged what my view of God is. And the good thing is that if you build your foundation in the here and now, it can change. It can mm. evolve, right? You can say, I was wrong. You can say, and and so the thing that I want, the thing that I had to learn, and I think the great arc of my story is that I can bring my principles, I can bring my my starting point back down to earth. Right. And base it on what I observe and what I reason and what I feel. I can base it in the here and now. And you can also believe that God created you with a mind exactly. to be able to, to do be that. able to do that. And the world didn't end. Right. And I, that's just what I want to tell everyone. If you stop outsourcing your moral center to God, the world won't end. Mm. It's okay. It will feel like you're walking on water. It well, will feel so, like it's like that scene in in Indiana Jones where he has to walk out into the void, yeah. into that chasm and he's walking on nothing. That's what it feels like, but actually it's okay. Yeah, I think I think sometimes we just don't really know. If you're outsourcing your morality to what your idea of God is and like you were saying earlier, your idea of God is always changing, then it's kind of like what I mean, I feel like you, you kind of start to get so esoteric and kind of weird with the conversation exactly. and, and kind of lose it a little bit. Or you have to deny <clears throat> that that God is changing. Right. So so you could we just de- kind of land? You have to do some, some mental gymnastics to make that work. Right. And, and so I can say I believe in love, not because of God, 
but because of what has been revealed to be true to me in my life because you've experienced because it. I have experienced and it. you can attribute and that the, experience to God if you want to exactly and the combination of reason and tradition and scripture and experience mm. yeah and that's an ongoing thing to quote the great reformers the the church is reformed and keeps reforming yes and I see this process of the church slowly coming around to gay marriage that is a process of the church being reformed and keeps reforming. well and there's there's proof of it in a lot of different ways so one of the things is you know very very soon after the nashville statement was released um christians united uh released their own statement in uh in support of lgbt plus uh inclusion in the church and so there's there's are almost kind of uh antithetical to everything that we found in the Nashville statement, there's a really well thought out statement um, by the liturgists.com. Yes. And I actually, I signed signed that one. They're great. There's also a fantastic statement from Pete ends. Oh my gosh. Yes. It's called the Lansdale statement. And, and I think to wrap up, Yes. We, I want to end on this because okay, yeah. so, so Pete Enns is he's a genius. He's he's way smarter. Are you fanboying right now? I am oh my god, totally I'm so fanboying. fanboying. I don't know if I if ever I do have him on the podcast, I don't even know if I could speak. I think I would just be so overwhelmed. <laughs> <laughs> um I really do think we should read through it quickly. Yeah, though, let's just read through it. Before um, Yeah. So we go just got through reading the pre preamble to the Nashville statement. So I, I just want you to take a minute and think about the tone, the difference in tone, how hopeful this may feel. Actually, I'm not even, I don't, I don't want to control how you're thinking about things. Let us just read <laughs> what, what Pete Inns take on the Nashville statement was, which was to create his own statement, um, which I found incredibly amusing and so, so hopeful yeah. Um, and full of humor and love. So in the preamble, it says, really another public here I stand statement that claims to set the record straight once and for all on a sensitive and complex issue our planet is dealing with. What is it with American evangelicals and fundamentalists? <laughs> article, two, article one, we affirm that God, having given us minds, rejoices when we use them. Amen. <laughs> we deny that God intended scripture to relieve us of this responsibility. <laughs> I love that. I love that. Okay. Article two, we affirm that scripture by God's wisdom was written by actual people in actual historical contexts for actual contextual reasons and that such contexts are central to proper biblical understanding and application. We deny that scripture, which reflects the wisdom of the creator, is simply sitting there waiting to be used irrespective <laughs> of its various contexts. Amen. Okay. Yeah. Article 3. We affirm that humans who are created in God's image, who are endowed with powers of reason, analysis, and an irrepressible curiosity, have thereby <laughs> made enormous strides in understanding the cosmos, the nature of humanity, and the wonders of the world around us, and that many who have contributed to these strides are fellow believers in Christ. Mm. We deny <clears throat> that scripture, when handled in willful isolation from or dismissal of such strides, is faithful or political 
pleasing to the creator. <laughs> I love that. That's beautiful. Yes. Um, Article 4, we affirm that the Christian faith, though a broadly unified and distinct tradition, is both historically and globally not monolithic in its expression, and that therefore true godly wisdom is found in humility and dialogue among the manifold voices of the Christian faith. Yes. We deny that, though it's a free country, a small number of largely white males living in one moment of the human drama are in a place to make statements that claim abiding normativity for all Christians all the time. Mm. Article 5. We affirm that all our theological utterances... Uh, let me do that again. We affirm <laughs> that all our theological utterances, because we are not God but mere humans, are contextually generated and bounded. Mm. We deny that any of our theological utterances can, can claim plain fact neutrality and therefore reflect unfiltered the divine mind. Mm. I love that. I feel like that just kind of shuts everything up. Me too. Because um, it's really hard to disagree with. Yes, it is. <laughs> uh, article 6, we affirm that human experience is rich and complex. Uh, that is rich and complex, presents us with numerous ambiguities, and therefore defies simple categorization. We deny that the Creator has assigned to us the task of sorting out and simplifying the richness and complexities of the human drama. Mm. <laughs> Article 5, we affirm that the binaries of Genesis 1, which includes animals restricted to living on land, in the sea, <laughs> or in the air, <laughs> reflect, by the will and wisdom of God, ancient ideal conceptions of cosmic order. Mm. We deny that the binaries of Genesis 1 teach that amphibians, mammals that fly, live in the ocean or lay eggs, or any other creature of God's creation that do not fit the Genesis 1 binary are outside of God's wise design. <laughs> That's a good point that I hadn't considered, actually, yep. That, yep. that Genesis 1 is laying down these binaries for all of nature. Yeah. And that, okay, yeah, that's a good observation. But there's nature that exists outside of those. Absolutely. That we bear witness to. Absolutely. So, and we like, as human beings, we love binaries, and we get super yes. uncomfortable when things live outside binaries. Yes, absolutely. Article 8, we affirm that God is the infinite and inscrutable creator, which is itself affirmed in Scripture, and therefore we should be careful to claim to be speaking for God as if nothing could be more obvious. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like I've been spoken down to by so many Christians yes. specifically about this as issue. If, as if nothing could be more obvious. Yes, yeah. Yes. Like, why are you so stupid? Why, why aren't you, a... you seeing this? And you know what that feels like? It feels like gaslighting to me. It, yeah. Like, it makes you feel stupid and insane yeah. that you don't see this clearly obvious thing. Yeah. 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 We deny that God's voice is easily replicated in our own. Oh my gosh. What what if you could mm. just remind yourself what if you could put that on an on an inspirational poster and just see that every morning when you wake up before you decide to say anything on God's <laughs> behalf? Yes. Oh. All right. Article nine. We affirm that public statements are largely written for the already convinced are therefore belligerent <laughs> by design, <laughs> too often passive-aggressive in tone, yes. and therefore are a colossal waste of time, not to mention make it that much more difficult for others to bear witness to Jesus. Absolutely. 
we deny that Jesus is rooting for us to write more statements. <laughs> <laughs> Signed, Pete Enns, Lansdale, Pennsylvania. White male, my dogs, Gizmo, Miley, and Stacy. My cats, Snowy, Marmalade, and Baron. My rabbit, Thumper. I'm sure a lot of other people. <laughs> <laughs> well, Pete, I, gosh, I'm super not into signing statements, but... I'd you, sign that if one. If you held a gun to my head, I, I would be put so my name okay. on it. Yeah. I, I would put my cat's names too. Oh, yeah. Because yeah, I'm pretty sure they're names. dead. The happier I am, the happier my dogs are. So, yeah, I think they're uh, yeah they're cool. totally on board. <laughs> so, I think that's it for the show. If you have enjoyed this and want to give us your thoughts, you can find me on sbradfordlong.com. You can respond there. I would love to hear from you. You can also contact me on social media at Stephen B. Long on Twitter. And Matt, where can people find you? Uh, you can find me at uh, 11d7isalive.com or at thejellyrocks.com. I'm always making uh, rock and roll music with synthesizers and pretending like I'm Michael Jackson. So on any given day, you can find me there. And it's great music. The music is by Matt Langston, The Jelly Rocks, and the art design is by Justin Caleb Bryant. Thank you so much for joining us. <laughs>